This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Thanks for praying with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Right? These are the nine fruit of the Spirit of God. This is the fruit from the Spirit of God that are evident in a follower of Jesus. Right? This is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is actively working in us, that we are growing to be more like Jesus. And it's not an individualistic arrival or a mastery of the fruit. It's not a checklist. But it's allowing the Holy Spirit to bear and produce this in your life, in our lives. And today we focus on peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And uh, peace can look like a lot of things to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And uh, when I think about peace, I think about this story that happened in 1947, no, it was 2020, uh, just two years ago. Uh, it was a historic month for Chicago. Does anyone know what happened in May 2020? Probably not. But it broke, uh, May 2020 broke the record for the most amount of rainfall ever recorded since they started keeping record in 1871. I learned a lot about rain this week. The average May rainfall is 3.7 inches. Okay? But in May of 2020, almost all of that rain came in just four days, just four days, totaling 8.37 inches in May 2020, the wettest month ever recorded in this area. And these babies born after May 2020, they don't, they don't know what we've been through. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, like, what are you talking about? Why are you being so dramatic? Like, what, like, what is this about? Well, see, I live in Des Plaines. And I have a basement. <laughs> and you already know where I'm going with this. We've got an English basement, half underground, half above ground. And all this rain, this excess water has to go somewhere, right? It doesn't just evapor evaporate in just four days. It goes to our sewer systems under the city. And when it rains like God's mercy, like May of 2020, the extra Stormwater causes the sewers to fill to capacity, and some of the stormwater and some of the sewage water mix and overflows like God's grace. <laughs> and so instead of sewage and stormwater going away from the house as it is designed, May 2020, it came back. And here I was, looking at the drain, in my basement shower, and just raw sewage is pumping up like God's love. <laughs> and at that point, it's too late. There's nothing that I can do, because at that point, two inches of sewage water was in my basement, my carpeted, finished basement. Disgusting. But thanks to family and friends, we were able to clean it up, rip it up in the two days and um, everything was gone. 
But when it rained, I was waiting for it to happen again. When it was drizzling, here I was in the basement. Here we go, here we go. I never wanted to deal with this again. And so we had a one-way valve installed six feet underground so that when it rains, only water can get out and not go back in. $4,000 for this little thing. (laughs) All that said, when it rains, because of this flap that is underground in my house, I experience a form of peace. But the peace that I experienced, it was installed. It was installed by a company, meaning it could be uninstalled. There's no guarantee. It's temporary. And most of all, it's situational. Right? I only have that peace within that situation as long as this flap doesn't break off. The peace that I explain is not the peace that the Holy Spirit bears. Because at times, or even most of the times, I think that the peace that we experience is circumstantial or situational. The peace that we experience may be a flap based on a circumstance. And if that circumstance changes, if that circumstance alters, then that peace is non-existent, showing that the peace wasn't faith-based, it was circumstantial-based. And so I want us to look at three questions that unpack these beautiful words from Jesus. Three questions. Where does peace come from? Whose peace is it? And what does peace do? Where does it come from? Whose is it? And what does peace do? The first question, where does peace come from? Where does it come from? It says in the text right there, peace is given by Jesus. Right, peace is given by Jesus. Peace I leave with you. And the context of the text, right, this verse lies in the farewell discourse of John. Right? It starts in 13 of John and then ends in 17. And you can almost say that it's almost like a farewell tour. And maybe you've seen this before. If it's a, uh, a band or a professional athlete, they do one last tour in a bunch of cities that lasts over a year where one athlete saying, this is my last year, and they do a parade. They make, make, sure, this is, they make sure everybody knows this is my last year, and uh, they uh, just really drag the whole thing out. And then they come back for retirement, you know. But when the final discourse begins in John chapter 13, right, Jesus, Jesus isn't starting a year-long goodbye. There wasn't really a tour at all. When he's saying this, It was on Thursday. He's saying this on Thursday, the night before Jesus was publicly crucified. On Thursday, he washes the disciples' feet, showing them his love for them, showing showing them his humility, his leadership of servanthood. On Thursday, the night before Jesus to goes to die a death that he didn't deserve. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about peace. Not for him, but for us. He's talking about peace for us. Jesus is concerned about his disciples. He's concerned about us in spite of the circumstance that he was facing. 
John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world, to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that his time had come. This wasn't a surprise. He knew what Thursday meant. He knew that he was going to be betrayed and arrested, that Peter was going to deny his association with Jesus that he was going to get mocked, beaten, and killed. He knew all of that, and yet he still chose to love them to the end. And here he's talking about peace, our peace. He cares for your peace so personally and so intensely. And imagine being in the middle of a crisis, which unfortunately we don't have to imagine that much. We're not thinking of others first. We're thinking about ourselves, how we can get out of there. But, on G- but Jesus, on Thursday, he's talking about peace and teaching and providing peace. Peace I leave with you. Jesus is leaving them. He's not saying, I'm going to be right back. He's saying, I'm leaving. And I'm leaving this with you. Jesus is leaving them to die a death for them, for us, for anyone who would believe that Jesus is Lord. But before he literally takes up his cross and walks to his death, he offers a gift. A gift of peace. Shalom, right, the Hebrew word. May things go well with you in every way. May things be well with you as a whole. Not just your basement issues, but in every aspect of your life, in every need of your life, may it go well. Jesus wants us to be at peace at the most deepest level. At our core, Jesus wants us to be at peace. But peace isn't manufactured by man, it isn't installed by a company. It isn't controlled by our tempo and pace in life. And it's not only present when there is an absence of major chaos in the world. The chaos of these senseless mass shootings in churches and hospitals and schools. The chaos of an illogical war that is still going on. The violence that's 20 minutes away from us and 20 hours away from us. Laws don't create true peace. Guns don't create true peace. Violence doesn't create peace. And even violence for the sake of peace doesn't create true peace. And I can say this confidently because the world has been trying to achieve this without success. And so we go back to the question, where does it come from? Where does peace come from? It's a gift. It's a gift from Jesus, and it's delivered to us through the Holy Spirit. He produces this fruit in our lives. Because when Jesus was going to leave, he asked the Father to send down another helper, a helper to be with us forever, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, a helper that the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. However, for those who believe that Jesus is Lord, we know him. 
and he dwells with us, and he is with us. See, peace comes from Jesus, and it's a gift. And he said he's leaving this with us. We can't create it, but sometimes we try to chase artificial peace. We try to obtain cheap peace, false peace, surface-level peace. Let me ask, how are you trying to obtain peace in your life? How are you trying to obtain peace in your life? What circumstances are you idolizing that you will uh, obtain peace once you reach it? Are you trying to obtain peace through your vocation? And if I had another job or another boss or better coworkers or a better workflow, man, once I get to the promotion, then I get to a level of peace. Are you trying to obtain peace through financial means? You know, I'm not really comfortable with the amount of money that I have in my bank account. But if I'm able to make it reach here, then I'll get peace. Or my retirement account is not looking the way that I need it to look. Once I reach it, then I'll get peace. Or are you trying to obtain peace through relation with others? And if only if I had this person. And if only if this person would be on the same page with me. And if my friend, if my spouse, if my sibling, if my coworker would just be like me, there would be no drama and we'd get along and finally we'd be at true peace. Or are you trying to distract yourself but not feeling anything so that you can feel numb. And that is your version of peace. The true peace is not neutral. It's positive. It's confident. It's knowing you'll be good that you're taken care of. If we're trying to obtain true peace, we're chasing a ghost. True peace isn't obtained. It isn't achieved by our works. It's received. It's given to us by Jesus. Let's look at the second question. Whose peace is it? Whose peace is it? The answer is the peace of Jesus. My peace I give to you, the text says. My peace. Jesus doesn't create peace in us individually. He's not a chef putting out orders of peace. Oh, you need some, boom. You need some peace, boom. That's not what he's doing. He's not sprinkling peace from heaven whenever we lack it. He does something way more Jesus-like, way more loving. Jesus invites us to receive the peace that he experienced. Kate and I, my son, we go, uh, we started a tradition. We started a tradition every Monday. Just us two, we go out to eat. Just us two. And uh, we started this when he wasn't able to eat, and we were just drinking milk, and it was much easier back then, and I was actually able to eat, and uh, he would just drink milk and, uh, you know, just watch me. But um, now he's actually able to eat. He's got some teeth. It doesn't look like this. It's in his mouth. (laughs) And so he's actually able to eat a little bit, and so it's a lot more work, but I love it. I enjoy it so much. My wife is not even invited to these lunches. 
But the cool thing is that very slowly, very slowly, Caden is able to experience and taste the food that I order, that I think is delicious. Slowly, I've been able to give him things off my plate and onto his figurative plate, which is the entire table and all of the floor of the restaurant. Because I want him to experience what I experience. I want him to have the best. I want him to have the tastiest meal on the menu. And I can't wait for the day that I can take him to Popeye's chicken so we can share some spicy chicken together. But man, we got, we got a long way to go. But I want him to enjoy what I enjoy in the fullest way possible. I want him to have what I have on my plate. See, when we go to Jesus the first time, he's not giving you a taste of a lesser version of peace. He's offering you the same peace that he experiences with his father. When we go to Jesus the millionth time, he's not offering you a diluted, a bitter, I can't believe you failed again version of peace. He still offers you the same peace he is experiencing with his Father. The peace that Jesus offers you today is the same peace that he has right now in heaven. Do you believe that? Amen. The text doesn't say Peace I give to you. He says, my peace, my peace I give to you. He isn't offering you a meal that he created. He's offering you himself. The reason we can't produce this peace is because of our relationship with God, the Father, apart from Christ. Because we've disobeyed God, which means our relationship with God is broken. There is no peace apart from Jesus. And some of us have gone through that or going through that in a relationship with someone. Or someone has done something against us and that, that unity, that trust, that friendship is broken. There is no peace. And the same way, we've sinned against God. We've rebelled against God. We did something against a holy God and there's consequences for that. We're not right with God apart from Jesus. And so that means we have to be separated from God's grace and mercy, which is eternal separation from God. But out of his fullness of love, God sent Jesus, his son, fully man and fully God, to restore that peace, to restore that relationship, because it's impossible for us to do that. And all of this, the one who initiated it and the one who completed it, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself so that we can have a personal relationship with God. But this cost Jesus his life. On Thursday, he's talking about his peace that he offers knowing on Friday that he'll be crucified in front of everyone. But he did it. He loved us to the end for our peace, for our souls, for our salvation. And the Son of God was put to death. But the gospel is good news because the story of Jesus doesn't end there, does it? 
He was raised from the dead three days later to prove that Jesus is Lord and death could not hold him. And after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven 40 days later, and he is sitting. He is sitting next to the Father, knowing that he has completed the work for the forgiveness of sins, and he invites us to believe in him. That he has, rec- he has reconciled us with God for anyone who believes in Jesus. And Jesus is sitting and enjoying the presence of God. He is sitting and enjoying peace with God. He is sitting and enjoying the relationship with God. And he is offering us peace as if we were sitting in the presence of God. Sitting in the presence of God, fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven. Not as an unknown, not as a stranger, but sitting as his own child. That's the peace that Jesus offers. Whose peace is it? The peace of Jesus. A pastor says this, it is God's peace. The peace between Jesus and God. I'm not creating your peace. I'm sharing with you my peace. I'm bringing you into my peace. Perfect peace with my Father. Tomorrow I will go to the cross and there I will open the door for my sheep to enter my peace with my Father. I will satisfy his justice. I will purchase your forgiveness. I will provide your righteousness and I will bring you into the very peace that I enjoy with my Father. That's the peace that Jesus offers us today. And so are you experiencing this peace? Are you experiencing the peace of Jesus? Well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm experiencing this peace or if it's a worldly peace? Is it a peace of God or is it a peace based on a flat, based on circumstances? But if this is the peace of Jesus, this peace will be experienced differently. I got three ways we experience the peace of Jesus. We experience non circumstantial peace through Jesus. His peace is greater than circumstances, His peace trumps circumstances. We don't need to have our circumstances define our peace, let God define our peace. And he's done that already through Jesus. Relationally, we are right with God. And no circumstance can change that. We can experience the peace of God regardless of what we're going through or what we will be going through. We experience perfect peace through Jesus. His peace is perfect. And so we get to experience that perfect peace. There's nothing left for us to do to receive what God has given us. It's perfect. Even when our relationships with one another is not perfect, even though it's been a long, stressful day, even though there's some trials that we're going to face or we are facing, his peace is still greater. We get to experience that. And lastly, we experience 
incomprehensible peace through Jesus. God's word says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This peace, man, I can't even fully understand it. And here I am trying to talk about it. But I've experienced it. We don't need to understand it fully because we can't. But God invites us to experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace of Jesus is beautiful. And it gives and he gives it to us freely. Are you experiencing the peace of Jesus? The last question. What does peace do? What does peace do? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What does peace do? It's this. It rests your heart. It rests your heart. So what does it do? Well, in a very Jesus-like manner, he tells us what it doesn't do. Not as the world gives do I give to you. My my one-way vow that gives me peace if it rains. My car insurance gives me peace if I get into an accident about my car, not my life. My phone gives me peace if I can't pronounce the name in the Bible and I need to Google it. Man, that's so important to me. But all these solutions from the world, it's not true peace because it's situational peace. And I'm not saying these are bad things. These are good things. But it's not the ultimate source. Man, the troubles that we face, the world will attempt to give you a solution every single time. Even the troubles that you don't know, the world will try to give you a solution. They're called infomercials. But really, the enemy is really good at it. And Jesus isn't denying that the world offers peace. But he's calling out his peace. And not the peace that the world offers that flees, that is temporary that it's circumstances-based. The world cannot offer peace to those who are seeking contentment. The world cannot offer peace to those needing a Savior. Only Jesus can do that. So what does it do? It rests our heart. Rest is sometimes a word to define peace in the Scriptures. If I took a poll of who needed rest, I'm sure most of you would be raising your hand. And for those who didn't raise your hand, you're probably too tired to raise your hand because you need rest. We've tried to rest by doing nothing, but sometimes it doesn't doesn't feel rested at all. We've tried to rest by getting things off our list so that we can rest, but that hasn't worked at all. And so what does this mean? Jesus shows us, shows us that peace is not a productivity issue. It's not a vacation issue. It's not a vocation issue. It's a heart issue. Let your hearts not be troubled. Don't be afraid. 
He says that I'm giving you my peace, that your heart can find shalom, that you could find rest. Let your hearts not be troubled. Let it not be troubled with the past or be afraid in the future, but come to me. My peace is not theoretical. It's not shallow. It's eternal. It's the deepest level of peace that exists. It's true peace. Jesus knows us very well. When he says, do not be anxious or don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid, he's saying this because he already knows that our hearts are troubled and afraid and anxious. He's not condemning us. Don't do it. But he's trying to comfort us. He doesn't come to us in a grudgingly or a disappointment way because we failed or because we're worried or we're anxious or because we don't have enough faith. That's the sole reason he comes to us in the first place. He comes to us because our hearts are troubled. Jesus gives peace by supplying the peace. It's himself. That's why, this is a, that's why peace is a fruit that only the Spirit can produce. And how do we let him do this? How do we let God do this in our lives? How do we let God produce this fruit of peace in our lives? Trust. It's trust. We want our hearts to rest. We have to trust him. We got to trust him. Peace expresses trust. It it reveals trust. It indicates trust. It embodies trust. But how do we let the Holy Spirit produce peace in our lives? By trusting in Jesus. How do we receive the peace of God? By trusting in Jesus. How do we experience, uh, how do we receive the peace of God? By trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus leads to experiencing peace through Jesus. Trusting in Jesus leads to experiencing peace through Jesus. We've got a secret about ourselves. You probably know it because you are yourself. We trust ourselves too much. We trust ourselves in our ability, in our capability, in our strengths, in our productivity, in our relationships. We rely on ourselves too much, and so we don't get to experience the peace of Jesus. Instead, I'm over here experiencing the peace of Robin. It's not that good. We need to repent of that. But when our trust is greater in him than our trust in ourselves, that's when the Spirit bears fruit. When we become less and when he becomes greater, that's when the Spirit bears fruit. When we get out of the way is when God does his work. Robin, I don't have this peace. I don't have this trust. There's still good news. To experience God's peace, we don't need perfect trust. We just need a desire to trust. Last story. The Caden story. All my stories are Caden stories. 
Caden, 15 months, he's walking now. Uh, but if you've seen him, majority of the time that he's walking, he is falling. Right? I'm going to get this guy some knee pads for the summer. But if you ask me if he's walking, I'm going to say, yeah, he's walking. Though most of the time he's falling. But he's doing it, though not even close to perfection. That's what trust looks like. When you tell yourself, I can't go back to him after what I've done, trusting in his forgiveness. When you tell yourself, I'm not good enough to go to him, trust in his goodness. When you feel too embarrassed to go to him, trust that he knows you and that he loves you. Trust him. Trust his character. Trust his love for you. He cares about you. See, our trust doesn't have to be perfect because it can't be perfect because we aren't perfect. But God wants our hearts and he wants our obedience. So trusting doesn't have to look like perfection, but it can be a desire and it can be a choice. See, desiring to trust God is a form of trusting God. Choosing to trust God is a form of trusting God. I'll say that again. Desiring to trust God is a form of trusting God, and choosing to trust God is a form of trusting God. And church, as we close, my ask for us as a church is that we trust in Jesus with everything. Let's go all in on Jesus. Trust in what he has done for you already. Trust what he offers to you over and over and over again. He's there. Trust in who he is. Because if we trust him, if we choose to trust him, if we desire to trust him, then we have peace that the world cannot take away. Because it wasn't given to us by the world. It was given to us by Jesus. His peace. Freely offered. So our hearts could rest. Eternal. A peace as if God is behind us and for us. And I'll close with this verse that begins this chapter in chapter 14. Jesus says on Thursday, 14.1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust me. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.